Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. However, wherever, whenever you're listening, this is the Root for Wisconsin show, episode 142. Coming at you from the Riverwood Gallery studio in De Pere, Wisconsin. I'm host, producer Eric Fisher, the Big E. Joining me this week, we've got college roommate Dylan Trick. Dylan, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? Fantastic. And Dylan, thank you for joining us back-to-back weeks. Two episodes last week. I think we're going to stick it to one this week. But last week, there was a lot to discuss, and there still is a lot to discuss this week, but I think we'll be able to contain it to one. I, we did yeah. not have as much happen this week as that did last week. should be able to squeeze it all in. We'll do our best. So with that in mind, we start off with what we always do, and that is talking about our friends over at Rage and Pro Wrestling, RPW. RPW has their first event of 2024 next week, RPW Redemption 3. That is at the Watering Hole on February 10th. Tickets are still available for that. You can get them at rpwprowrestling.com, at Look Sharp in the Fox River Mall, and, of course, at the Watering Hole itself. Uh, door time will, Doors will open at 5.30. Surge, which is the pre-show, starts at 6, and RPW Redemption 3 starts at 7. So you're going to want to be there. Uh, Ramsey and myself will for sure be there. Uh, still kind of working out the other pieces of that, of who's joining us. I believe we will have a different college roommate of mine joining us who is not affiliated with the show. Um, so we're still potentially having one extra ticket, so we'll see what happens with that. With that in mind, we get into right into the heart of our episode here, Dylan, and that is talking about what we had rooted for in the previous week. And what do you got for us, Dylan? What's been going on since we last recorded? I have a couple. Uh, All right. One, I'm gonna. It's gonna be silly, and I'm not gonna spoil it. I'm just gonna say Preston Smith. Okay. But we'll cover that later. We'll cover. It I later. think I know where you're going with this, and <laughs> yeah, I'm already excited. Were. Yeah. Uh, the next one I'm gonna go with is CBS. CBS, like the broadcasting company, not CBS. Not CBS. Yes, yes, CBS Sports. CBS okay. Sports. They are going to be partnering with Nickelodeon for Super Bowl 58 coverage. Yes. That will include SpongeBob SquarePants and Patrick Starr in the booth. Let's go. They will also have Sandy Cheeks making her sideline reporting debut and Larry the Lobster providing live commentary. That is incredible. Yes, that is going to be on the alternative telecast for Super Bowl 58. Uh, they will all be voiced by their original voice actors. And, big one, the SpongeBob original song, Sweet Victory, is supposed to be, supposed to be performed in its entirety. At Super Bowl 58. They teased us a little bit at Super Bowl night, um, the one in 2019, the one where they played a little bit of it and then Travis Scott took over and Maroon 5 ruined it. <laughs> it's a valid point. <laughs> yes. So so I want to go on record saying I'm a big fan of the alternate broadcast that the NFL has, has been doing and partnering with. Um I have watched the alternative playoff game each year that they have done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year with CBS getting the Super Bowl back, obviously they are not. 
or they hadn't done it until the Super Bowl. It usually mm-hmm. was Super Wild Card Weekend. But I am very excited for this to occur because, like I said, it is nothing short of incredible. When first of all, I mean the presentation of it. I take you know it maybe it's a little silly for some, but they really do make it on a kid level. Mm-hmm. And they throw in elements that I think keeps kids' attentions with, I mean, they've got the slime cannons for touchdowns, and mm-hmm. they've got SpongeBob's face in the uprights. It's really, I mean, it, it really is incredible. Yep. Um, They're also going to be having um, Dora, Explore, Dora the Explorer and Boots um, explaining the penalty calls during the games. That's so, a change-up, because it had been yeah. young Sheldon mm-hmm. before. No, it's going to be Dora and Boots. I'm well, probably... I probably really care less about though. I would have rather seen like Mr. Krabs and Plankton. But yeah, I can I, see uh... you're trying to get different, different fan, different kid fans of different shows sure. uh, interested in the game. So I can see it makes sense. <clears throat> yeah, I, I like I said, I'm I'm always been a big fan of it. Am I going to watch that version of it live this year? Probably not. I am going to DVR it though. Because again, how can you not? Like that's that's mm-hmm. must watch TV, and I think that's incredible. Um, between Nickelodeon's version of this and then the Toy Story alternate broadcast, where it was like computer generated in real time, like Toy Story esque mm-hmm. animation. Yeah, the NFL and and their corporate, you know, whether it be CBS slash Paramount or ESPN slash ABC slash Disney, mm-hmm. has really been taking monumental steps to a expand the game and make it kid friendly. And has done incredible jobs with those broadcasts. So the broadcasting nerd and myself appreciates it and the technology that goes into it. The inner millennial child in me loves it as well. Mm-hmm. It's really all – it hits home runs all across the board. I uh, agree. I really wish that other sports would jump on as well and really kind of just fully embrace it for all sports. I, I feel like it's got to be coming I think the NBA will probably happen before MLB. But I think there are ways to incorporate that in these major sports and really kind of go a different way to grow your audience. Mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, Back to the episode itself. uh, My root for is I also have two. Uh, One, just again, it's always, almost always... the Green Bay Phoenix have just been having incredible seasons. And mm-hmm. I think we're almost getting to a point where they may deserve their own segment. I don't know if that's going to happen tonight just because of our time constraints um, and other things that we need to talk about this week. But Green Bay Phoenix men got a huge win today. They had something really cool, a really cool program that they actually took from their opponent they played today. And they do Educators Day. And Educators Day, they had over 3,500 kids in the building with different schools, different grade levels. And I'm sure they made it in, you know, they had like, okay, you know, keep book for the math. Or, you know, some of the older kids probably had to do, okay, what's the shooting percentages and all that. Like, I don't mm-hmm. I don't know how they all factored it in, but they had an 11 o'clock tip-off time, which is a little odd. But the biggest basketball crowd the Rush has had in... I would easily, I know it for a fact, five years, but probably going on close to 10. 
probably close to when we were in school when when Madison came to town. Yeah, that one was a ten thousand plus. I think this is probably closer mm-hmm. to when um, when you would have been a freshman. I was still in high school, but I know we both went to this game, the Virginia game. Yeah, that one was huge too. Um, but with the thirty five hundred kids and then the season ticket holders and all that that were there, I believe announced attendance was over five thousand today. Which again, for the first time in quite some time, but even without that going on, uh, the last this last weekend, so the Thursday Saturday games, uh, they had hosted over the conference schedule of last week, mm-hmm. had been the highest attended games since 2019 with I believe 3,100 and 3,300 mm-hmm. were the numbers, which I mean speaks to just how much of an impact Coach Wicks and um, the rest of his staff and the team on the court have had on the community where it's becoming a hot ticket in town. And to pair to quote Barry Alvarez, when he took the job at Wisconsin coaching football, he said, you know, you're going to want to get your season tickets now because they're not going to be available in a few years. And really is that going to happen at the mid major level, you know, where a coach stays around for a long time They're If they're good, probably not. That's just the reality of the business. Right. But if you build the program up to make it where that next coach after you, if you don't stick around, has to have that same level of excellence. I mean, look at the Green Bay women where it was Borset, well, even before Borset, but Borset, uh, Matt Bollant, and then again, Kevin Borset on the second stint. You mm-hmm. have to build up that program somehow when it starts with this, and then you keep building up from there. So uh, incredible praise on, on that front. Uh, the second one I have for my report is Griffin Russo. And that's a name that some of our our Gillette listeners may know. He is the son of former teachers Rebecca and Adam Russo of Gillette. Uh, they now teach, live in Stoughton, Wisconsin, down by Madison. And this week, uh, Griffin, who is a six foot seven, 305-pound offensive lineman, made his college commitment to the University of Illinois. Yes, I did see that. So um, we actually are going to be having him on our Back to the Roots show. Still working on scheduling with Justin and Griffin as to finding a time that all three of us are available. But very exciting for him. Um, a kid that, for what it's worth, I mean, I, got, I knew him when he was really, really little because his mom was my homeroom teacher for two years. Mm-hmm. And actually, his mom is a big credit to why we are here doing this show, uh, because she was the editor-in-chief of our school newspaper, made me an editor, and uh, really kind of set my path to going into uh, communication. Because originally, I was thinking about sports medicine. I took A&P, and that sucked, but (laughs) kind of led me on this path to be here. So big shout-out to Rebecca Russo and, of course, uh, their son, Griffin making his commitment to the University of Illinois. Real quick, I just want to go back to your other point. Um, that UWGB versus Wisconsin game at the Rush Center held November 16th, 2013, is currently the ninth largest or highest capacity event in Rush Center history with just over 9,300 fans. Yeah. 
And so that's, that's going to be a tough one to top. That's going to be a real tough one to top. But. Especially when you factor in that that was one of the very few basketball games where they actually... So if you go to the rec center, obviously it's like every other arena out there uh, where it's kind of got the, the circle in the middle. It's a hockey arena. So they've got mm-hmm. the circle in the middle that's the size of the rink and then uh, seating all the way around. For basketball games, they usually cut off one of the ends and kind of shorten that crowd and take out that end of the bowl. That was one of the few games they left it up completely because of the demand for tickets. So, mm-hmm. um, Yeah, it says right here their capacity for basketball games is 9,729. And according to their Wikipedia, Western Wikipedia page, that, that game was 9301. That's a 96, sorry, 95.6% capacity. That we'll building have you around for the Yep. That building was jumping. I remember that. Well, I remember yeah. part of it. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was not at that game. I tried to go. I can't remember what my my uh, schedule interference was. I was uh, I was a high school senior, so I wasn't mm-hmm. in college yet. But I know that that was a big one, and I know um, incredible game too for what it's worth. Where yeah, it was only a three point loss. That was Wisconsin's um, first run at the Final Four. Uh, three point loss where Keeper Sykes missed three, where it was missed short. It was online. Mm-hmm. Missed a tad short, would have gone to overtime. But yeah. uh, there's also the the highlight of him going up and over Frank Kaminsky. Missed the dunk yeah. on the alley oop. But One he was up and over Frank Kaminsky. Yeah. I would say it's the best dunk I've ever, missed dunk I've ever seen. Well, considering Keeper was what? What was he listed at? Listed at six foot, um, he was not six foot. Yeah, he was five ten, five eleven. On his best day with shoes. Yeah. But so that is our root force. But with the positives do come the negatives, Dylan. That leads us to our Tyler Hero <laughs> Nugget of the Week. And yeah. to be honest with you, I'm gonna let you go first because I'm trying to think of if I have one or not. I've had a couple I, candidates, but I don't know if I'm, I'm if I'm fully on board with any of them. I do have one. This this could potentially turn into a talking point. I um, it comes from two NBA players. So this, I believe, will be the second week in a row that Draymond Green has gotten one of my doogies. Okay. The other player is Oshkosh North's own Tyrese Halliburton. Oh boy. Now now Indiana Pacer. Oh boy! Big big fans of both of their games, except for Draymond's dirty side. But um, they recently went public with their criticism. I'm sorry, criticism of the NBA's 65 game rule. Okay, uh, basically that's for MVP votes, right? It, it applies to MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Most Improved Player. Uh, the all NBA teams and the all defensive teams, the rookie of the year, sixth man of the year, and the all rookie teams are not impacted. Okay. So basically the rule is to qualify for those awards, you have to meet one of the following criteria. You either have to play in at least 65 regular season games, or you play in at least 62 regular season games suffered a season-ending injury and played in at least, excuse me, 85% of the regular season games played by his team prior to suffering said injury. 
so you're basically missed 17 games. Right. You are also you also must log at least 20 minutes in that game for it to be counted toward your 65 game rule. But you are allowed up to two instances where you can play between 15 and 20 for that game to still count toward your your 65 game minimum. Okay. Right. So, you know, it's tough because you know, these these athletes, their bodies take a ton of beating, a ton of beating. Um, but at the same time, you're these guys are million dollar athletes, and in Tyrese Halliburton's case, he's got a five year, two hundred million dollar contract, right? Sure. All you got to do is hit 80% of the games. 65 over 82 is 79.3%. So they're, they're calling it a stupid rule. And they're saying, well, it's what the owners want. The, what the owners got to gotta be happy. And to an extent, they are right. The owners are their bosses. If the owners want them on the court, they should be on the court. Um, Governors. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, you know uh, the NBA is is a sports league, just as much as it is an entertainment business, right? Their their goal is to sell tickets. They want to put butts in seats, and you know their big name star players being on the bench isn't going to put butts in seats. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think this came. What this came from is specifically Tyrese Halliburton. Is if he were to make an All NBA team this season, which, considering he's an All Star starter, I'm going to say there's a pretty good chance he's going to do that. He's on if pace. He, he's on pace. He is projected to get a bonus worth forty-one million dollars spread over the course of his entire contract, five-year contract. But if he doesn't hit his 65 game minimum, he's not eligible. So he has to, I think he's missed 13 games. So he's got four games. He's got to, he can only miss four more games the rest of the season. And if he does, he, he can kiss 41 million goodbye. I mean, he's still making $200 million, but 41 million is a chump change by any means. So just to clarify, is your noogie on the rule itself or on these guys for criticizing it? I think my my I think it's gonna be on the guys for criticizing it. Cause like I said, that's 80 percent of you gotta play eighty percent of the season. Okay. Right. I, I don't you know, I I, I have a hard time with this one because like I said, playing a professional sport is not easy on the body. Uh, but at the end of the day, these guys are professional athletes. That's what they've done their, their entire life. I believe they should be able to hit that minimum of 65 games. I mean, we have the MVP of the season last year. Joel Embiid has already missed 13 games. Mm-hmm. It's how we're halfway through the season. He's the front runner for the MVP this year. I believe he actually deserves it this year, unlike last year. And he's missed 13 games. So he's got five. If he misses five games, he's missing out on an MVP, basically. See, I'm going to go on the rule itself. Like, I, I get where you're coming from. I think it's 
I think my issue is that the rule itself, because I, I get, I get why it's a rule because you know if a guy only plays like fifty games or sixty games, like you can make an argument that he's not really the MVP and should right. be taking away an award spot. You know if he gets hurt in say February or or whatever ends up being March, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I I get where that's coming from. I the nature of it. And I get also, you know, you're a professional athlete. You're getting paid to play a game. You know, there's a lot of people out there who can barely afford bread and milk and basic essentials. And you're complaining about, you know, playing 82 games a year for a sport, you know. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, you also have people who are, you know, struggling to get by, who, you know, they scrap all their money together. They buy a ticket day of or something like that. And the expectation is that they should get to see their star players. And I know the NBA has put rules in to try to avoid um, star players missing out on road trips, especially when it's a kind of a rare one, like a once a year type road trip for an East versus West matchup, things like that. Yeah. So I, I get where it comes from, but I also kind of have a hard time with that rule because I, I see, think they're onto something too, where, you know, if it's, if it's one like kind of nagging injury, and you miss, you know, th- three games here, or, you know, two here. That adds up pretty quickly. And yeah. you should be penalized for an impressive season where you basically played all year. But you missed a couple small stints here and there. So I, I guess I go back and forth on it. I can see the nature. Yeah. Of, um, I'm not sure if I would make it noogie worthy, but I definitely get the, the gist of it. I... I'm I'm like you. I'm back and forth on it. You know, Tyrese has had a hamstring injury where he's that's he's missed ten out of the last eleven games because of one hamstring injury. And like I get it. The doctors at the end of the day are the ones telling these guys if they're good to go or not. Mm-hmm. So, I do believe it is a medical decision more than anything, but. You know, if you can't hit four fifths of the season, you you got to draw a line. The NBA had to draw a line somewhere. Sure. And they picked eighty percent as their line, which I think is a fair number. You know, if you want, I mean, that's that's a forty-one million dollars is a hell of an incentive. Yeah. That's not Trump change. I mean, that's no. You and I could live on that money for the rest of our lives, and he's going to get it over five years if he makes an All NBA team in one season. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, but I, I I lean towards the the players being a little accountable, overreactive. Yeah, they they need to be a little more accountable. I mean, like the Kawhi Leonard's that just sit to sit and save themselves for the postseason. That's what this sure. rule is made for, right? I mean, you you can't make a rule that's going to encompass every single scenario. So, right. all right, so yeah. then well. I I I said I didn't have I wasn't sure I had a noogie or not. I take that back. I have a couple. Okay. Um, because apparently actually looking back, you know, I when I look through this, I look at what I had tweeted about over the last handful of days, and apparently I've been pretty pissed off a few days now. So, um, we're gonna make this quick because a lot of them, they're not as serious as as that one as discussion worthy, but we're gonna go on it. So first, starting today. So I'm going to work backwards since last time we recorded. Uh, the first one is 
it's a very controversial one. Um, mm. But it's it's this conversation about CTE, or chronic traumatic encephalopathy, mm-hmm. um, where former athletes have mental problems and and addiction and impulse control and suicidal thoughts and all that and um you know to what extent does it go to the amateur athlete who never went to the nfl that's still being studied etc uh espn put out an article today about how cte fears has surpassed the science of what actually is involved um Mm -hmm. where the noogie comes in is just the fact that the people who try to minimize it Mm-hmm. took that article and are calling it like the CTE hoax and, and all this other stuff, which I think, you know, having read the article itself, to me, the biggest takeaway of it was there's other factors going on as well. Um, when it gets to, you know, especially like some of the younger athletes, like you can see the signs of it are there mm-hmm. and it just hasn't progressed to full on CTE, which I don't, think is that controversial a take i don't think it makes it a hoax i think it's yeah you were probably in progress of it it led to you know other things which i don't think it's reinventing the wheel to say that if you injure your brain there's probably going to be repercussions of some sort whether it be um short term in terms of you know short-term memory loss things like that or Mm -hmm. long-term adverse effects where you know, impulse control, addiction, things like that, and then ultimately leads to depression and, and everything else like that. So I'm not going right. to go on a whole mental health journey on this here, but um, to call that article today a hoax because it's just saying, hey, like there's more studies going on. There's definitely more studies needed to really fully get the impact of this uh, definitely is a way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, my next one, as I was going through, uh, I did have to say, um, you know, I know how hard bracketology and figuring out brackets must be, but the disrespect that some of these small schools and smaller conferences get when it comes to, like, actually looking at the tape, um, when that's your job, you have to do it twice a week, is nothing short of incredible where, yeah, you know, I know it's probably hard to figuring out every mid-majors one-team bid, and it's easy to go with the first-place team right. as your automatic qualifier placeholder for now. But it's just it just comes off incredibly lazy to me to go that route and just be automatic with it. I love that it right now it benefits Green Bay on mm-hmm. both men and women's side. Right. But there's a few outlets here and there. One has Youngstown State, which is uh, second place in the conference. Um, I saw another one with Oakland, which is like third place in the conference now, which again, you're splitting hairs. Maybe that is part of the research, but I, like I said, it just seems like it's not, they're not updating all the small conference ones because it came after the day after Green Bay beat Oakland, takes sole possession and had mm-hmm. split the series uh, with them on the men's side. So that's my take on that. Um, so that was my other nugget. And my third one. And probably my my most kind of controversial one, man, the Lions, MCDC, what a bunch of frauds. And I feel bad for Lions fans. This isn't a diss on Lions fans anywhere. You deserve better. Lions fans, if you're listening right now, stay plugged in here. I'm just saying, 
I feel bad for you. I don't feel bad for your team. I feel bad for you that you had to watch what happened Sunday happen to you. I mean, Packer fans are very familiar with this feeling, um, especially in an NFC Championship game a la 2015 with Seattle. Mm-hmm. But this honestly takes the cake because at least in that one, it just kind of happened over the course of six minutes and basically came down to like one drive. This happened over the course of basically the full second half because your coach refused to get out of his own way. And going for fourth downs when you can take points and, um, you know, not kicking field goals and going for two in places. It's great in the regular season where if you're playing Arizona, it doesn't really matter, whatever. But you have a chance to go to the Super Bowl for the first time in franchise history. And to be honest with you, up to that point, and even through the most of the third quarter, I think Detroit outplayed San Francisco. I agree. The turning point of that game truly, truly was that missed fourth down conversion where you have a chance to go from up 24-10 to up 27-10 because that impacts how San Francisco plays the game. I mean, yes. you know, they go down and score. They're down one touchdown. They have to make one more stop. Their defense, you know, they're biting at the bit a little bit more because now all they need is one stop. It's a tie game or a chance to make a tie yep. game. Yep. So instead, you don't go for the field goal. You miss the uh, fourth down conversion on a drop, by the way. So, I mean, the scheme, the play call, you can argue, was right. But the fact that, you know, the decision to go for it when that's the, out, you know, basically a 50-50 shot of the outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, this is very flawed. So the next, you know, they go, San Francisco does, goes down and scores. They have this incredible play off the defender's face mask. Brandon Ayuk stays with the play, makes the catch. They score like two plays later. And then on the ensuing kickoff, the first play from scrimmage or second play from scrimmage, Detroit fumbles. Mm-hmm. And the offense is back on the field, ties the game. And then goes up, or San Francisco goes up three. And my favorite part of this, and where this is the most noogie-worthy, is once again, fourth quarter, about five minutes left in the game, Dan Campbell down three, didn't learn from his earlier mistake, decides to not kick a field goal on fourth down, which would have tied the game, Mm -hmm. and decides to go for it. Misses again, incomplete (laughs) pass. San Francisco goes on and scores a touchdown, makes a 10-point game. I mean, essentially, it's over. Uh, Detroit goes down and gets a uh, – they do finally get a fourth-down conversion for a touchdown. But the amount of time that they burned made it fully impossible for any sort of comeback um, because they refused to call their timeouts. So that's that's my last nugget with that. So – I'm glad you got that off your chest. I, I really needed to because the whole <laughs> Dan Campbell thing. I mean, I I love for Lions fans that they had a year of relevancy. I really do. Hope they enjoyed it while it lasted. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think they still have a very good franchise plan. They're on the right track. They're only building up yet. I don't think they're going down as a franchise, but mm-hmm. man. That's one of those where it's like they really. You could have had that. that, could, that was you should have had that if you yeah. if you even if you go for one of those, 
go for one of those. And the the argument that, you know, in the fourth quarter they decide to kick a field goal, make it, or second quarter, excuse me, um, or, and they, they maybe even they missed I don't know, remember exactly what happened, but the chance mm-hmm. to go for it when they should have kicked, and they had one where they kicked and should have gone for it, just all backwards. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that is our Tyler Hero Nuggies of the Week. We move on to our Wisconsin Web Stories of the Week. And I say Web Stories because this one actually is a little bit longer. Um, there's a couple different ones I want to hit on because a couple of things just need to be talked about here in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, first, this one, the quickest one. Um, in Superior, Wisconsin this week, a live World War II-era grenade was found at a Goodwill um, among <laughs> donated items. They didn't know it was Sweet. in there. Um the or Ashland, excuse me, not Superior Ashland, also up there though, um, was Very discovered cool. in the bin of donated items. An employee found the grenade, called nine one one. Everybody was evacuated. It was made safe. But World War Two era grenade found in Ashland, Wisconsin. So shout out to Ashland. Shout out to Goodwill. Yes. So that's one. Um, one that I did not expect to have to talk about in Wisconsin in. February, but this is almost kind of noogie worthy. The fact that uh, there is no ice almost right now, and obviously yeah. a major hamper on the economy for ice fishing and all the snow sports and winter sports up north that you know involve bars and all that, and I'm sure a lot of profit being missed out on. But uh, we're getting to a point where the Battle on Bago decided to cancel their sturgeon spearing fishing portion. On Lake Winnebago wow. because there's just not ice conditions, and a lot of a lot of these sportsman clubs out around the state of Wisconsin are, are missing out on this <clears throat> and missing out on their tournaments because of the deteriorating ice conditions. Which goes without saying, if you're listening to this in the state of Wisconsin, please don't be stupid. No fish is worth any of that. <laughs> yeah. And then our third one, Dylan little bit multifaceted here, so I don't know if you know this or not, and I think you do because we were talking about it earlier this week. My favorite holiday of the year <laughs> is Groundhog Day, and that comes tomorrow morning. And I just have to shout out here a couple. Obviously, the main one out in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, uh, with my boy Phil. Got to shout him out, but uh, two really big ones in Wisconsin as well. Here in the Green Bay area at the Bay Beach Wildlife Sanctuary, there is Bernard, the groundhog, mm-hmm. in his debut last year. Um, not as much lore as with Phil, um, because he took over from a groundhog that passed away. Phil doesn't die. Phil, Puxatani Phil has the elixir of life and is immortal. Mm-hmm. So just a little FYI for the folks out there. Um, Phil is the goat when it comes to groundhogs, but hmm. uh, there is another one in Wisconsin that gets a lot of of publicity, and I believe that one's name is Gus. It's in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, um, so down by the Madison area. Mm-hmm. But there is a fairly large Groundhog Day event down there. Um, trying to find old buddy's name. And I'm struggling to find it, but 
Groundhog Day is tomorrow. Like I said, best holiday of the year. And uh, yeah, so if you're what like me and you want to celebrate, there are some Wisconsin options. And of course, the OG out in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. Jimmy the Groundhog in Sun Prairie. Mm. Um, ceremony takes place at 6.50 a.m. in Sun Prairie for those uh, interested. Are you going to be up for that? You know, it's like the one day a year I wake up early. <laughs> and I live stream the Puxatawney one. As a member of the official Puxatawney Groundhog Club, I feel obligated. There's something else, my friend. I, uh, it, it's, it's worth it, man. It's, hey, you enjoy what you enjoy. I'm not going to judge. I honestly I'm gonna keep it to myself because I'm a polite human. Honestly, I, I just I want to join the inner circle. The guys who walk around with top hats and tuxedos and carry around Phil. Uh-huh. I mean, like think about like that's the ultimate retirement job, right? Like they go around, they make cameo videos with this groundhog. Um, there's a whiskey distillery out in Pennsylvania that made a maple syrup bourbon aged rye whiskey. Ooh. Um, in honor of Phil, there's the Samuel Adams Cold Snap beer, which is the official beer of Puxatawney Groundhog Day. Oh. And they take Phil to all these cool places, and they hang out with Phil. They go to breweries, they go to distilleries, they make cameo videos. Like, they're living the dream. That sounds awesome. I know, right? Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know if this is a cult or not, but if this is, I'm fully invested. It's a good day to be a groundhog. It's a great day to be a groundhog. All right, back to sports. Um, so that's our quick look around the state of Wisconsin and Wisconsin culture and everything like that. Uh, so we go back to the world of sports. Uh, starting with the city of Milwaukee, we'll start with the Brewers real quick. couple little housekeeping things. One, Brewers announced uh, some renderings of two new video boards yesterday. Um, one, obviously the main one out in center field, then another one in right center, which is what a lot of ballparks at the major league level are going towards. So um, really cool to kind of see that come to fruition and make it, you know, the next step to making AmFam mm-hmm. um, even better within the state and kind of using some of that taxpayer money for something pretty cool. So one of the additions that they were kind of instructed to make, that's one of them. Um so we'll pay attention to that and see when it gets unveiled later this spring. Uh, they did officially agree to terms with former Boston Red Sox Christian Arroyo, uh, infielder on a minor league deal. Very minor, in, you know, kind of inconsequential deal, but something just to mention. And then the third thing within the Brewers organization, this one coming from the city of Appleton, Fox City Stadium named Major League or Minor League Baseball's Baseball Digest uh, Stadium of the Year. Mm-hmm. So real cool, uh, really awesome designation for them. And uh, for those that haven't been to a game at Fox City Stadium, it's awesome. Um, it really is the place to go, I think. I mean, it's. It's a hidden gem, as much as a hidden gem can be on Highway 41. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you and I hit one up last year. We we got our seats. We got there, and uh, one of the, I don't know, what do you want to call them? Uh, ushers. Ushers came up. He's like, hey, you guys want to go sit in diamond seating? No one showed up. And we're like, hell yeah, yeah. we will. 
Went over there, yeah, two dollar, two dollar. Two dollar beers that day. Eight out, eight ounces probably. Something like eight that, ounces, ten or twelve. Cups. Something like that. I would say twelve. I think twelve is eh, maybe. Well, yeah, twelve probably is. You know, it's just a standard size cup. I mean, two bucks. You're not even gonna get that at any bars around there. No. So even even if you want to go just drink, it's a great deal. Mm-hmm. But it was a good time. Hoping we can hit some more up this summer and yeah it's honestly it's it's my one of my favorite places to be um you get a quality entertainment even if you're not a huge baseball fan between like between inning entertainment and all that yeah um plenty for little kids to do between the different play areas the slide etc uh one of the few ballparks that has like the all the way around porch option where you can kind of get out by the bullpens uh get a different look of kind of the baseball process you don't like get i mean you don't really get that close to Major League Baseball, things like that either. So just a lot of perks there. The food's always great. You know, drink prices are always pretty reasonable. So Very reasonable. Um, it's quality family entertainment. And, of course, being the minor league affiliate of the Brewers isn't hurt either. Go Rattlers. So that's the baseball side of things. Dylan, I turn to you. How The Bucks uh, now in their first stint here with... Doc Rivers, he's been the coach for two games now, I believe, or three. Yeah. So what's what's been going on with our Milwaukee Bucks? Well, since the last time we chatted, the Bucks have dropped three of their last four. It's a little disappointing. Um, since Doc Rivers has taken over, well, let me get to the first two games first. Um, Friday the 26th, they dropped one to Cleveland. They lost that one, 112 to 100. Um, Cleveland is not a bad team by any means. We are two and two against them so far this year. Um, they have good things going for them. Saturday, the following day, absolutely waxed Port, I'm sorry, New Orleans. At home, 141-117. New Orleans isn't a bad. I mean, they're just over 500, so they're not. I mean, they're they're in the first and they're in their division, but um, they were they were a team that we should have beat. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I'm glad that we did and we beat them handily. Um, then we went to Denver, lost that one, 113-107. Close running champs. Yes, so that one is slightly more understandable. It was a pretty close game throughout the entire game. Would have been really nice to see that pull that one off in Denver. Um, the, this one was the disappointing one. Was the it was the at Portland lost that one one nineteen one sixteen. Portland is fifteen and thirty three. It's not a game a 32-16 and 16 team should be losing by any means. Um, close game until basically the third was third quarter was ending, uh, and then Portland just started to pull away. So there are going to be growing pains, obviously, with Doc Rivers coming in. 
I do question the end of the game when he had Damian Willard inbounding the ball to Giannis, knowing Portland was going to foul. Sure. I do question that. I, the armchair quarterback in me would say, maybe have Giannis inbound it to Dame, but <laughs> hindsight's always twenty twenty. Sure. Um, but looking ahead, these next four games, we got Dallas coming up 26 and 22. That one should be a winnable game, though Luka is on a pretty hot streak. Utah at 24 and 25. Very winnable game. Should pull that one out. And then we are at Phoenix. Yes, we're at Phoenix on Tuesday the 6th. That's going to be a good game, I think. And then a real test is going to be Thursday the 8th, where we are hosting Minnesota, who I believe is still on top of the West at 34 and 14 currently. So they do have some time. Okay, that's what I thought. They do have three decent challenges ahead of them in at Dallas, at Utah, at Phoenix. To really work out some of the kinks that they have introducing a new head coach halfway through the season before their first hey this is this is going to be a big game here when they host minnesota on, on thursday um <clears throat> we may be recording before that we may be recording during that well time will tell um so i i'd like to see them pull out pull out these next three games at least um yeah i I, it's frustrating that portland loss is really frustrating i'm sure some of it was just damian lillard being nervous anxious for his return to portland sure you know he didn't i don't think he played a bad game by any means let me see here Uh, 25 points, seven assists, six rebounds, 19 of, or I'm sorry, nine of 23 shooting, three of 13 from three in 40 minutes. So, you know, he's plus six. He didn't do poorly. Could have done better. Should have done better. Mm-hmm. But I get it at the same time. I get it. So we'll see what they can do in these next three games. I'm going to remain optimistic, but time will tell. You know, one thing we talked about when he first got hired and kind of looking at everything that the Bucks had been doing, like, yes, they're very successful at the time being 30 and 13. That's the time he gets mm-hmm. fired. Um, and obviously the defense was the big concern and, and the really the question marks that were with this team. I can't cite the person who who had said it and this I believe was before the Portland game but after the Denver game if I'm not mistaken mm-hmm. but in the time since Doc Rivers took over and actually just even from moving on from Adrian Griffin with uh, Joe Prenti being in, in the head seat for what two games um, really it kind of showed the defensive effort the team put out where from where they were, I think it was like 24th in the league out of the 30. And then when they look at like the points allowed in those 
you know, in the what five games now since Adrian Griffin got fired. Um, it's they've been averaging about one eleven a game, mm-hmm. which is good for eleventh in the league. So the, just a very small sample size, you know, nothing to really right add on and talk about yet, but just the presence of mind and the the effort and everything kind of coming with that in and of itself right there shows that a change was needed and that you're trending in the right direction. So I, you know, obviously still very optimistic. A lot of it's a work in progress and for what it's worth, doesn't really, I'm going to say it doesn't really matter until you get to the postseason for the Bucks, they've always been in that spot. But this is mm-hmm. a, you know, this is an experiment until that happens, right? You got what 40, 30 some odd games. Yep, they have to, time to figure it out to get there. You're at fi- just shy of fifty games. You're forty eight games, so you got thirty four games to figure out your rotations, figure out your effort, where that's going to come from. Maybe mm-hmm. grab a piece or two from either the buyout market or trade market, whatever, mm-hmm. and figure out what the identity of this year's team is going to be and make that run. So 34 games. Um, it's an experiment. As long as you get in the dance and you're all likelihood going to be one of these top three teams, that's just the reality of the situation once again. Mm-hmm. You've got time. Figure it out. Get to the dance. Go from there. So Agreed. that's what we got for basketball Bucks talk tonight. Um, talked about the Phoenix a little bit on the men's side, the women's side. Uh, kind of more the same. They played last Wednesday night when we were recording, so uh, they got the win that night. And then um, since then, they played one other game that was on, I believe, Sunday. And they were winners in that one. Um, big win. Convincing there. Me. Convincing win for the Phoenix on Alumni Day. Um, get a week, just shy of a week off, six days off, and probably their biggest regular season game left. And then that's that's broadcaster speak. You know, coach speak is always the next one's the most important. Yeah, I'm sure. Yep. I'm sure if we had talked to Megan Vogel or Kevin Borseth, that's ex- the exact words they would say. But I'm not Megan Vogel. I'm not Kevin Borseth. So I say this, their biggest game that's left on the schedule of the regular season is this Saturday. And mm-hmm. why is that happening? Because it is a first place battle, essentially, with Cleveland State. Green Bay comes in at 17-4 and four on the regular season. And believe, I'm just going to get the proper state yep. up here as well. Yep. I didn't want 17 a and 4 um, the Cleveland Viking, Cleveland State Vikings are at 19 and four on the season, 10 and two in the conference, and I believe that counts a win today. Actually, they, yes, they played yesterday, um, so they got a win over Purdue Fort Wayne yesterday. So it it was at a full game uh, going into the weekend. But this essentially, I mean, you'll have all tiebreakers here because Green Bay's already beaten Cleveland State once. Mm-hmm. Um, this is for essentially for your regular season title. Um, yeah. Again, at Cleveland State. So at Cleveland State, at the Wolstein Center, which is 
all reports. I've never been to the building myself, but coaching staff has said this is one of the tougher buildings to play in. It's in the middle of BFE in Cleveland. Um, and the sight lines are incredibly different than what's at the Crest Center. So mm-hmm. it's a tough place to play. Cleveland State plays a tough zone. It's a it's a wonky zone. Uh, and I'm not sure if you can shed any insight on that, Dylan, as a former practice player, as to what that zone is. No, I can't. I got nothing. It's it's not a traditional two three, but it's it's like an offshoot of it. I it's is it more like a two one two? I don't think it really even has a name. Like it's. No. It's just an odd defense. That's the only way. It's, it's. I believe the word Megan Vogel used to describe it in her post-game comments are wonky. Yeah. I do remember from way back when we did practice against some zones, but again, that was 10 years ago. So you're, you're, you're reaching back for memories that just don't exist anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> they've been buried yeah, under I... years of alcohol. <laughs> I wish I could describe this and what it is, but honestly, I, I, I just there's not words for it. It's just such an odd combination of probably like three schemes all in one. It's kind of like a two one two. It's kind of a three two. It's kind of a two two three. It's it makes teams <laughs> uncomfortable. It oh, forces a lot of odd looks. It's, I, I guess the best way to describe it, and this is coming from cleveland.com, um, it's a swarming d- double-team trap 2-3, kind of like what you probably would say at like a high school level. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's it can be a struggle. So, um well, if anyone's going to be prepared for it, it's going to be the Green Bay coaching staff. So, and it's it's nice. They they how the horizon of the schedule fell. They had a full week off. Yep, basically be healthy, and so everybody will be as healthy as possible, uh, with first place on the line, and really one of those games where again, you know, the Horizon League really trying to become a two win or a two team league this season for a possible you know NCAA tournament. Um, the overarching belief is that even if Green Bay is not the automatic qualifier, that they would have enough of a resume to be an at-large. But mm-hmm. obviously, you'd probably prefer to take out the middleman and not even worry about it. Right. Well, even you know, even if Green Bay does lose this game, we have played. We Green Bay has played two ranked opponents in Creighton at twenty-two and Washington State at 23, and Green Bay has won both of those games. So there's not much more that Green Bay could do. Right. Um, They've done everything the committee is going to ask ask of them. So, you know, even if, you know, you win this game, it, it looks, it's going to look great on their resume. Right. It's, it, and that's, that's where you're at right now. You're building resume um, for worst-case scenario. Last time they played Green Bay, an 85-72 winner over Cleveland State. That was at the Crest Center. Uh, that game, Cassie Schultz, 27 points. Um, also, some big efforts from Jasmine Kondrakowicz, the leading or the reigning Horizon League player of the week. She had 10 points that game. Um, 
Maddie Shriver had 16, Natalie McNeil had 10, and Jenna Geyer with 10 off the bench. So, was that five double score, double digit scoring efforts mm-hmm. in that game? And that's what it takes to beat them. Um, so, big game Saturday for them. Ben got the win today. That's their only game of the week. So, they are off the rest of the week and going into Thursday where they make their um, kind of post their final run here at the regular season prior to the conference tournament. So great time to be a Phoenix fan. The Green Bay or the Wisconsin Badgers men are in action tonight on the road against Nebraska. They're up to number six in the AP poll. Uh, Mm -hmm. Marquette's next game is Saturday uh, on the road at Georgetown, number nine in the country. So there's some damn good basketball playing played in the state of Wisconsin. Yeah. And then of course, the Sunday night. Sunday night is going to be a big night for the Badgers when they host number two in the country, Purdue. That's going to be a good one. That's going to be a good one. And you know, Sunday afternoon at twelve. Yep. Noon tip on CBS. Zach Eady comes to town, reigning, reigning player of the year, favorite to win it this year. See if they can contain him. All right. So that is. Our hoops talk, college and pro. Um, aside from that, Dylan, not really a whole lot, you know, outside of the Packers, which going into this week and even as early as if we had recorded last night or Tuesday night, didn't think we'd have a whole lot to talk about there. Um, my, my, and then my, how things change. How things have changed. Now, do you want to start with the big news or do you want to start with uh, Brian Gutekunst's uh, postseason press conference. <sighs> to be honest, I didn't watch his postseason press conference. Um, so we can start with that, and then we can get to the big news, which once we reveal the big news, I can go into my first rooting for. <laughs> All right, so... Honestly, not a whole lot to take away from his press conference. Um, I will say I didn't watch it in real time, but just the relief of him not having to talk about Aaron Rodgers' offseason plans, I'm sure, was heavily on his mind. It was a very fan-friendly postseason press conference or end-of-season press conference, Mm -hmm. uh, talking about the success of Jordan Love and – that the Packers are preparing to extend him this offseason, which was kind of a given, um, confirming that the team is not going to be taking trade offers on Jair Alexander. Yep, which, I did see that. Which a lot of us knew. I knew you were all in bees in your bonnet about it, all worried about his Instagram post. He got you. I, I was slightly concerned, yes. Um, and then absolute quote, absolutely expects Aaron Jones to be back and cites him as a difference maker this season and what took the offense to the next level. Um, as we had mentioned last week, that's likely going to take some restructuring, but expects him back, which is awesome to hear. I think that's always been the mm-hmm. intention. Um, so really the big takeaways there and then just kind of glowing on the rest of the, the team and, Typical GM speak of, you know, draft strategy. Well, we're going to get the best player available. And, uh, you know, what do you feel about the offensive line? Well, we want the best five out there. Thanks. You know, not not really, you know, not really showing the cards, but 
keeping them close to the vest while well, just again very relaxed exciting tone so that's the easy part and then of course the big news oh go ahead i would like to add one thing to that i just looked up a synopsis of his press conference i do like how he is setting the lofty goal of it's super bowl or bust you know he's not we're not in he's it, it tells me as a as a fan that rebuild time is over it's pedal to the metal time and i like to see that yeah so just a quick quote on that i'm glad you brought that up because i kind of forgot about that part of it so quick quote um he was asked if super bowl is the expectation in 2024 quote i think it's always has been i don't think it's ever left Five minutes to go in the San Francisco game, I thought that's where we were squarely headed. So, very, I mean, that's a very telling quote. Um, also talking mm-hmm. about that they're not ruling out, uh, looking to possibly deal some of their draft picks for veteran players this year. Mm-hmm. They do have 11 draft picks, which uh, on Twitter today, or I guess I guess I have to stop calling it Twitter, it's X. Yes. Yeah. I'm becoming, I'm trying to get more used to that. I don't like it, but I, I do too, so... Um, I did do my first Packers mock draft since the news that we're about to talk about, and it's very exciting. So if you're, you know, if you're into that mock draft community, go check it out. Um, it is on our Roof for Wisconsin page as well as my personal page. So with that, Dylan, the big news of the day: the big Packers the have formally hired their new defensive coordinator. And it was a name that not one damn person expected. Was not anywhere in the news about being interviewed or being on, you know, in the hunt for the job. And that is former head coach of the Boston College Eagles, Jeff Halfley. Now, a lot of Packer fans, first reaction is, who the hell is this guy? That was mine. That was all I will say. That was mine as well. <laughs> um, however, now some, I don't know, 23 hours later since that had happened, I am a full on board with this decision. Um, very comparable to the Robert Sala, Brand Staley type defense. Had experience working with both of them and Kyle Shanahan on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has been a defensive back coach at the NFL level for a number of years with a number of different franchises, specifically the Buccaneers where one of the seasons he was there, his DB room was third in the league in interceptions uh, in area that the Packers severely lacked this year. Mm-hmm. They had also he'd also spent time with um, the Cleveland Browns as well as the San Francisco 49ers under coach Chip Kelly. He had gone and been a co-defensive coordinator under uh, coach Ryan Day at Ohio State. In that single season, his defense was fourth in the entire country in scoring at 13.7 points per game. First in total defense at 260 yards per game. First in pass defense at 156. And eighth in the country in rush defense at 104 yards per game. 
Um, so that's kind of the, some of the numbers. Went to Boston College, had the team bowl eligible three of his four seasons, which when you play in the ACC and not at Clemson or Florida State, that is quite the accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can look at some of those numbers and, you know, not love the record and some of the stats, but you're also, again, far from the best talent in that conference. So with that said, again, there's a lot of different ways to go here. So I'm going to ask with, again, being 23 hours removed, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, when, when, this, when this news dropped, I was like, you, who the hell is this guy? Um, you know, so I did a little digging and seen he's got, a, like you like went over just a little bit ago, a fair amount of NFL experience, which is good. I mean, we're not just hiring some dude out of college. So um, it's optimistic. I think for many of us, it was confusing because I think a lot of us had certain names in mind. I thought, um, what's his name from Baltimore or Zach or, yep. I think he was a, he was a very popular name floating around that a lot of people expected us to hire. I think the flu, I think a lot of people expected the floor to look at Jim Leonard again. Um, not sure how far that went. If it ever went, maybe Leonard didn't even call or the didn't even call him. Um, you know, this, like you said, this wasn't a name that floated around anywhere. Even, you know, we didn't discuss it last week at all. I had no idea this guy existed until <laughs> this morning. So. Yeah. Um, Packers management has a knack for making what appears to be the wrong decisions at the time, but then turns out to be a solid one. Given time to adapt and adjust and I am going to give the benefit of the doubt for that. Yeah, you know, I will say I I said it already, I was I was shocked a little bit by the decision because I expected some other names and mm-hmm. some big dominoes in that search fell yesterday and kind of limited as to who would possibly be available. But with that said, I really am excited about this hire. I think this is, you know, when you kind of start digging in on the guy and looking at a number of different elements of what he brings to the table, what he has done, you can't help but get really excited, right? Like you start looking past the initial... um, you know, the initial stuff of it and you start looking at, okay, the, you look at the Ohio state comparison, the work he did with Ohio state, you look at Richard Sherman and his time with San Francisco talking about how he was the most prepared for games that he had ever been mm-hmm. under defensive back coach, Jeff Hathley. You start looking at the principles of what Jeff Hathley's defense looks like. And I know, you know, it was rumored very early on the Packers defense, the new D coordinator would have 
you know, a heavy impact on the defensive back room. And that that was a key to what they wanted to bring in. And (laughs) they absolutely got exactly what they wanted. Um, In that sense, some of the other things, you start looking at some of the different, you know, things that Boston College people have put out. And, you know, in his time there, one thread that got a lot of love today came from Chris Hadid from Victory Sports and talking about the concepts that they run. And it is going to be night and day different from what they had run under Joe Barry and even Mike Pettin, which is a little odd considering that uh, Ryan or that Jeff Halfley does have experience working with Pettin. But in his time in Cleveland. But some of the different things, and probably the most important thing, is that the Packers, they may switch to a true, or not a true 4-3, but kind of an offset, like a 4-2-5 defense, which I'm a big fan of. That's probably one of my favorite defensive schemes out there. I think it works especially well, and I think at the NFL level, when you have kind of linebackers playing almost like safeties and safeties playing like linebackers, it probably will be very beneficial to the rest of the team in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to see a lot of different press coverage finally. Something that, you know, there's nothing like under the Joe Barry defense of third and seven defenders 10 yards off the ball. And Damn. Jeff Halfley going as far to say, hey, that's stupid. I don't like this. Yeah. Not not today. He didn't say that today. He didn't, you know, I'm sure he's been Joe thinking. Barry. Yeah. But um some of the different things that came out, like so the Chris Hadid um thread on Twitter or on X talking about how the benefits of press coverage and why he believes in it, talking about it eliminates the route tree, forces receivers to kind of declare their intention, um, disrupting timing with the quarterback talking about, you know, he's been known to travel a defensive back with a receiver, which is when you have a a cornerback as talented as, like, a Jair Alexander, you want him traveling with Justin Jefferson, or you want him traveling with, you know, whoever, you name the team, Amon Ross St. Brown when it comes to Detroit, or, well, there's not really a whole lot of great options in Chicago, but still, there's somebody there, you know, that you want him traveling with. And mm-hmm. to be open to doing that, talking about, you know, some of the fundamentals about the eyes and the hips, uh, arms length, focus on the receivers, read the first step, some of these just different concepts that he's going to bring to that DB room and the defense as a whole, which, Dylan, leads you to your first route for, and that is? Yes. Preston Smith, uh, once this news dropped, granted, this is an unverified report. I have seen seen talk that Preston Smith will be changing positions in our defense from cornerback to linebacker. <laughs> so I'm happy. I'm happy for that for him. Um, I think he's in a he's going to be in a position to succeed. So. Yeah, I, I truly, you know, when. <laughs> I love that. I really do. I saw that today. I saw one tweet that said the Packers have already changed his position on the website from cornerback to outside linebacker. Yep, that's a big switch. 
a big switch for a 10-year veteran. But I'm sure one that comes at a great time for him nevertheless. Yep. Yep. Um so yeah, great, great joke. That was definitely worth the the hour and ten that we put into that. I'm the glad hour we got and ten of suspense. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, I just it's one of those that when you start looking into the the schematics of what this new defensive coordinator brings, mm-hmm. it's hard to not get excited and really look forward to what they can do. And, you know, as of, I'm, I'm not very good at mock drafts. I'll, I'll be the first one to say it, but I don't, you know, I don't do all this, the college scouting. Like I can read scouting reports that are on the website. But when you start looking at some of the guys that the Packers may have available to them at pick 25 and throughout the second and third rounds, and you start looking at the different defensive options, you realistically can go, I mean, your first five picks, I think you should still want to get an offensive lineman. You still should want to get a running back within those first five picks because you're having five picks in yeah. the top 100. But you have options to really sure up yeah. elements of your defense like the, I, again mock drafts are our predictions and they're you know they're based on simulations mm-hmm. they're not always you know they're they're far from 100% accurate right but when you can look at getting talent in at the, in the defensive backfield like Aquinian Mitchell who's having one of the best um senior bowl weeks of the different defensive backs at the senior bowl, uh, Tyler Newbin and from Minnesota is a safety, um, Cameron kitchen or yeah. Cameron kitchens from Miami who for all intents and purposes is a much more polished mixture of Darnell Savage and Sean Taylor. Mm-hmm. He plays downhill and ball Hawks and plays with speed and, when you start looking at some of those options or like Jalen Ford at a linebacker out of Texas, so many different combinations of guys that, you know, with this new defense and being an aggressive defense, a, you're going to need depth to play as aggressively because you're going to have a lot of different rotations, but also you're looking at putting almost a whole different type of athlete where you don't need that, you know, they'll, the different corners that you're bringing in under Joe Barry because it's, you're not playing 10 yards off the ball every play. You're not playing to get beat over the top. You're saying, hey, come downhill. Come at us. We're still going to beat you. Yeah. So It's optimistic. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I, I'm sure the guys in the locker room are excited, which, I mean, that's, that's half the battle right there. You have to want to show up and play for the guy coaching you, which I – Joe Barry has definitely had definitely lost that locker room. So hopefully this new face in there is going to invigorate these guys and make some significant scheme changes and you know, propel us to that next level. Yeah, and that's always with I mean, even going back to the some of the prime years of Aaron Rodgers, that always has just been what's what's missed out is just there's never been that one surefire get a stop now type defense at least not since 2010 when the Super Bowl year and I mean look at how many years from like 2012 to 2016 where it was yeah Aaron Rodgers playing at an elite level 
but you're going to have to score every possession of a game and hope you get one stop. Right. Our game plan was Aaron Rodgers score 48 points. Right. And hope that you, your defense keeps them to 42. Yeah. And obviously there were games where they were significantly under that and they had, you know, a lot of takeaways back then, but you know, you look at, especially this last season with Joe Barry, where you're a bend, don't break defense, force them to make mistakes. But if you're not forcing turnovers, you're not going to get anything done. Right. And that's, that's kind of the ultimate takeaway here is getting turnovers, playing downhill, forcing them to make mistakes by not letting them have time. I mean, I think I had seen, you know, I, I don't have the exact tweet of what I had saw today, but it was talking about how, the different, even like six man rushes that he brings with different uh, mm-hmm. stunts and twists and things like that, just it makes you excited because you know what the pass rush when they bring four can be. We saw bits of it towards the end of the season when Joe Barry was basically coaching for his next job, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. where he would bring Quay Walker on a twist. And you know, you look at the Chicago game where Justin Fields was on his back almost the entire game. And you're talking about a defensive coordinator who wants to do that all the time. Yeah. Not just against Chicago. <laughs> like yeah. it's that's exciting. And you look to build on that defensive backroom and force turnovers and be put in the best position to get turnovers and defend the ball and get stops up. Getting stops on third down is not what you should be aspiring for. It's what you that's that's an expectation, or it should be, of a defensive coordinator. Right. Not not having games where you look at even the the Dallas game where, yeah, there was some garbage time offense in there for the Cowboys, but they were 10 of 16 on third down that game. Mm-hmm. That's inexcusable. For as, for as dominant as your defense was, and they were, they had a very good game on paper. The two interceptions, including the pick six, went a long way. But 10 of 16 on third down at any point, is it's unacceptable. He's got some high expectations to fill because every single one of the fans wearing the green and gold is going to say, look, man, here's what we had to deal with last season. Don't make us do that again. I'm just curious who the first idiot who's going to be sincerely believing Fire Halfley is. First guy to tweet Fire Halfley. Hashtag fire halfway. I have an idea of who that's going to be. <laughs> I have a pretty good idea. We won't say any names on, on this on this show. I uh, I think I was, you're we're on the same I, wavelength, I'm thinking. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty confident in that. <laughs> All right. So that's, I mean, that's really the Ascended Packer talk, which. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big hire. Um. The initial thought was that Matt LaFleur was going to, you know, there's all these other defensive assistant coaches have one more year under their contract. And a lot of them may stay. Mm-hmm. Matt LaFleur also said that, you know, if you want to go look for other jobs, you know, by all means, go ahead. But, you know, Jeff can bring in his own guys. He didn't say that part of it, but um, be really interesting to see as to who he ends up bringing in and, if he stays with the current staff for the last year here, what the deal's going to be on that? But mm-hmm. it it really is a lot of fun. Um, 
just kind of looking at comparing, and this is such a it's it's apples to oranges. But yeah, they're both just, they can be compared. <laughs> um, but when you compare the college game, the NFL game, yeah. it's it's not necessarily a fair comparison, but it's still you can kind of point to it. So Packers played man coverage last year, thirty-two point five percent of third downs, which was good for twenty-second in the NFL. Boston College played man coverage on third down, sixty-three point one percent of the time, which was second in all of the FBS. That would be so nice to see. Um, talking about aggressive playing cover zero, which is an all-out blitz, and not having any safety to help over the top. Packers played cover zero 1.4% of the time last season and played four, which was good for 31st of 32 teams in the NFL. Uh, played it in the red zone 4.5% of the time in, in the red zone, which was good for dead last. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boston College played it 8.4% of the time, which was 38th of the 133 FBS teams. Played it in the red zone 27.4% of their snaps, which was good for 43rd in the country. Um, like I said, a lot of six man, so uh, six man pressure, bringing in a guy like a Quay Walker on blitzes and loops. Um, deep defensive back blitzing Dylan. Packers brought a defensive back on a blitz, two point six percent of snaps, which is also last in the league. Boston College at fifteen point two percent of the time. I don't have the where that ranks in terms of where that was in FBS ranks. I gotta imagine that's pretty damn high. I would also think so. Um, some very, like I said, just some some lofty expectations, but very exciting. Those numbers all coming from uh, Ben Fennell, mm-hmm. Ben, ben Fennell at underscore NFL, NFL on CBS, NFL on Prime Producer, uh, Draft Expert, NFL Network, things like that. So. Want to give credit where credit's due. Great work by him to get this all out there. And, yeah, I mean, that's, like I said, just a lot of exciting news. Obviously, we'll see what happens over the draft. We'll see what happens um, going into the season and as games start, and preseason starts. But you can't help but being excited once you do a little bit of research into the guy. Yeah, and I'm, I'm guessing... Next week's episode, we'll have more to talk to as, you know, I'm guessing he's going to have a press conference here. I would think in the next couple of days where we're going to get some more information. Uh, Matt LaFleur is going to give us more insight. Um, so, yeah, optimistic time when it comes to Packers defense. Absolutely. Uh, so with that, Dylan, that's basically all of Wisconsin sports for the last week. Yeah. Um, as mentioned, we have two wrestling events next week, which we'll be talking about in further depth probably next week. Uh, Royal Rumble was this last weekend. I know you're not a huge WWE guy, but uh, was a lot of fun to watch. Time Wrestling is probably at its best spot right now. And, uh, yeah, that's that's the week of sports. We have the Chiefs and the 49ers in the Super Bowl once again. We'll probably talk more about that next week. I'm actually not that upset about the I matchup. Out of the possible matchups from the four teams that were left, this was my least 
favorite. I would have loved to see the Ravens and Lions. I'm like I said, I think this is probably my most preferred matchup, if I'm being honest with you. Well, I'm gonna respectfully disagree. I I get where basically everybody and their brother did not want to see the Chiefs. And wanted everybody and their brother wanted to see Detroit. I was pissed off at Detroit the last couple of weeks because, like I said, I th- I've been very vocal about this. I thought they were on fraud watch, <laughs> and I said that in my noogie. Just mm-hmm. the timing of different things, I I don't get. But that's, I guess, at this point, kind of proved me right, and I can feel vindicated about that all I want. Still yeah, a very successful team, but exactly what I thought would bite them in the ass, bit them in the ass. And you saw it happen on Thanksgiving. You saw it happen against Dallas at the end of their regular season. And now it bit them in the ass in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, just kind of rewarding. So um, as for the Chiefs, I don't know what it is. I just can't buy into the Ravens. And I think part of that is just the fact that they, you know, I remember growing up it was Ed mm-hmm. Reed, Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs, and just, you know, none of those guys are there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't have that same feeling. So for my for my entertainment, my money, I'm fine. Um, I do, you know, if I could, if I'm going to go back, I'm going to give a retroactive noogie to Patrick Mahomes and uh, Travis Kelsey for the, the antics on Justin Tucker. Yeah. Before the game, I thought that was a very bad idea. It worked out for him. Um, but also, Baltimore laid an egg. And that's a lot of the criticism of them is they lay eggs in those big games. And another instance yep. where that happened. Yep. So, yeah, that's that's a Super Bowl, ma- Super Bowl matchup. I'm sure we'll have more on that next week talking maybe some of the prop bets out there and some of the different elements of it, but I know that you're also sick of Taylor Swift. I, I'm i actually kind of in the minority of that. Not that I want to see more and more Taylor Swift, but I think for the whole entire postseason, I think it's worked out to maybe a minute and a half of screen time or two minutes of screen time over the last three games, which in all fairness isn't really that much. It's Time of my life, I'm not getting back. Well, there's a, I think there's a lot worse that is in an NFL broadcast than seeing Taylor Swift's face for 10 seconds a clip. I think that's relative, Fish. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than seeing the... Uh, um, i trying to think of the old... The old couple in the bathtub boner pill commercial for the thousandth time a game. That's uh, also yeah. I'll give you that. those are those are thirty seconds a clip. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not going to get into the whole like I, I just kind of started seeing some of the different, uh, you know, it gets young girls involved in the NFL, and you know if you're going to berate them for seeing a girl on TV, and you know people don't complain when it's when it's Simone Biles or whoever. I'm not going to get into the whole thing of that. There's a that's a lot yeah. bigger debate than for this show. I'm not but, interested in that anyway because that's not. I'm just it's just getting worn down beaten into the ground i'm telling you man she's gonna be on the cover of madden 25 
I will. I, we had talked about this the other day. I would take your bet on that, that that does not happen. I will give you. Okay, let's do this for the podcast six. We have it recorded for them. I will give you Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey. I'll I'll take the field. If you are right, or if I'm right, and it's somebody else, I'll take a dollar from you. If it's Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, the and is a big part of this. Okay. That's the operative language, because Travis Kelsey is a legitimate superstar, and the NFL has been really big on him. He's everywhere for advertising. But if Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, makes the cover of Madden, I will give you $100, (laughs) and I will donate to some stupid geology charity that you (laughs) can find out there. Find me a geology cause. I will also donate $100 to that as well. Okay. Deal. All right. I'm glad we got that covered. Yep. All right, Dylan. So with that, all we have to do is... To put a bow on this, what are you rooting for in the upcoming week? It's it's not much of a rooting for. It's more of a get well soon. Um, coming from the Wisconsin herd, the Milwaukee Bucks affiliate out of Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, some of our more intense college basketball fans will recognize the name Drew Timmy. Oh, yes. Famous. That is not a... Oh, that is not a deep pull. I was expecting a much no. deeper pull than that. Famous for his 11-year career at Gonzaga. And mustache. Yes. 11 years was an exaggeration, by the way. Uh, it really he, wasn't that much of an exaggeration. No, though. I know. <laughs> uh, he has suffered a fracture in his foot and will have to undergo season-ending surgery. Um, so RIP to that bone in his foot, but... Hopefully he gets well soon, <laughs> averaging 9.7 points, 5.9 rebounds, and 1.9 assists in, I believe, 25-ish appearances for the Herd this season. Mm-hmm. So get well soon. Go Herd. Get well soon, Drew, too. That's one thing. I've, I've not been to a Herd game. We have not talked about them a whole lot. but yeah. I went to a couple, couple herd. I went to a herd game. I went to the Wisconsin Glow also play in that arena in Oshkosh. You know, with some of our GB friends, Jessica Lindstrom's played there. Uh, Marion Cracker, uh, Lake and um, James has played there. Lake and James has played there. Uh, Frankie Wirtz has played there. Um, yeah, I've been to a couple of those games. It's, it's a good time. So, all right, my route four for the upcoming week. I'm I'm gonna go back to that Green Bay Cleveland State game on Saturday. That is such a huge game for mm-hmm. standings and everything that kind of goes with it. So that is obviously gonna be a lot of my attention the weekend. But that is that is one that it's a big game and it's got the big game feel to it for the Horizon yep. League. So very exciting on that front. Yep. All right, uh, Dylan, you got a bar of the week for us. Oh, man, I haven't been to a bar. I haven't been out in a long time. Um, I'm actually going to go with, I don't know if it's been said or not, but I'm going to go with the Mineshaft in Oshkosh. All right. Uh, I, I don't think we've ever said that because I don't think we've used an Oshkosh bar. So, yeah. I, um, 
Yeah, they're famous. Mine Shaft's famous for their apparently the uh, largest game room of any bar. Um, it is a good time. My lovely fiance and I attend there regularly. Uh, they do have a variety of good drinks. Um, they do have some floats. They have some alcoholic floats that Ooh. have been uh, hit the spot. They do hit the spot. So they're reasonably priced. They have a lot of local stuff on tap. They have domestics. They have a lot of liquors and stuff like that. So all right. Nice, so for- nice, nice horseshoe bar arena. Uh, uh, arena. Nice horseshoe bar <laughs> where they have area. Area. There you go. They have five TVs that are always playing sports. No, they have more than five. They might have closer to ten or eleven. Um, the big jump. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Last time I sat there, I sat at the end, so I was looking at one TV and I had to like peer around the corner to see the other wall. But there's either three or four on either side, so it's a good time. All right, four point one stars on Google. Dylan, what is the go-to order at Mineshaft? Oh, I get their nachos. You only get appetizers at the bar. You can't order meals. You can only get the appetizers. So yeah. I always get their, I always get their nachos and a bunch of chips. You know, they got the different colored chips. They got the your standard color tortilla chips. And they got the black ones and the red ones. They mix them all up, put a bunch of super greasy beef on there, and then they cover it in nacho cheese. And then jalapenos are optional. Do you get the jalapenos? I do get the jalapenos. All right. So that is your bar of the week. And that is a bow on episode 142 for Shauna, Sean, Justin, and Ramsey, who are not here this week. For Dylan and myself, Eric Fisher, we are out. Pay attention to our social media pages for all the latest happenings in the state of Wisconsin. And with that, thanks for listening. We're out. See you. See you.